This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. calls for aid and Brog shall answer light that beacon I said light it I'm on Dean welcome to light the beacons Lotra podcast focusing on the controversial Mamor pig Lord of the Rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of J.R.R. Tolkien this is episode 22 blackjack plus one and I'm your host Bragg of the Lonely Mountain Hero of the small folk and dwarf of ill repute. Uh, let's start our journey from the heights of the Citadel Rock atop Minas Tirith, skirting the White Mountains across the rolling plains of Anorian until we reach the borders of Rohan, atop the pinnacle of Halifirian, bordering the Fenmarch, and alert our ancient allies in Edoras. Closer and closer we creep in our epic story to that epic moment. The beacons were dark again last week due to lack of Elven Moxie one more time. Uh, but we're back again this week broadcasting live from the secret tavern on the ceiling of the 21st Hall in Moria. Center of command for the Dwarven expedition to reclaim the great expanse of Khazadum. No, not the tavern, but the chamber of command within the 21st Hall. And as I look out over the blue and purple carved stone from this great height, I can see the columns descending down into the great expanses to the east, south, and west. To the east, I see a passage blocked off towards what used to be Balance Camp to the north, of course, the now burial place of my great father, Balan, in the Chamber of Marzable. And uh, down south, I see the Chamber of Command. Um, not as much traffic here in the Halls of Moria as there was back in the day, but still a few tunes scurrying here and there from time to time. Uh, it's certainly not the center for sparring that it once was, but uh, still a lovely centerpiece for our broadcast. Uh, up here in the tavern atop the 21st Hall is a very exclusive establishment. Uh, no other patrons here apart from the barkeep right now is and Grima down the end of the bar, um, making him clean the floors. Hasn't been done in a while. It's kind of a ceiling up here, but it's more of a floor. And uh, I happen to have a VIP card, uh, being a Prince of Moria and all, so I know secret ways to get here. But the only other way to get here, as some of you may know, is to drink from the Moria keg and hope you are lucky enough to land atop this great edifice. I still remember one of the first times I ever saw a tune die in uh, the 21st Hall, which I thought was impossible, and I couldn't figure out how it was done until someone told me he had jumped over the side from the tavern at the top of the 21st Hall and had plunged to his death. And that's how that was accomplished. So if you ever want to die in the 21st Hall, uh, aside from eating Barrow Brie, uh, another option for you is to acquire the Moria Keg and jump to your death. So, it's not bad digs, bad digs to settle in into the, until the foundations of stone renovations are completed. Uh, Grima, fetch me an ale, or I will throw you over the side. 
and our viewers here have tarried long enough. Listen, I'm starting to suspect that at least a few of you are not viewers, and uh, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, uh, but in the meantime, let's light our second beacon. Ilenok. In the midst of the Druidan Forest, the peak of Ilenok. Well, first it's time for CRAP. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Uh, my apologies are too numerous to mention. Uh, obviously, stepped over the line. Those of you who might have listened, uh, we'll just put Sir Bragalot back in his little box, lock it up, and throw away the key for now. Um, however, there were more than a few of you that had some kind words for my efforts in the Twitter sphere. And uh, for that, I give great thanks uh, to everybody who drew attention to my little broadcast. Uh, I'm glad that those foolish enough to listen at work had the good sense to wear earphones, not to spit their coffee too far across their cube. And uh, for Bjornings Got Back, I am looking to make a music video uh, with dancing bears in unison and Grima scratching records with uh, one earphone pressed to the side of his head and a sideways ball cap with a white hand on the top of it. So anyone that would like to volunteer uh, you know, to work with Collaborate on that, let me know. And yes, for those viewers out there that don't know my sense of humor, I am kidding. Um, and you're not a viewer. So in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about where we've been going in game these past two weeks. <coughs> we're, Grima, edit that out. Uh, we're going to dip into grab, Bragg's grab bag, including a review of an article discussing some special locations in Lotro. We'll have a return of the Lotro Quest highlight focusing on one of the pivotal books in Volume 1 involving the very gates of Karn Doom. And lastly, we will offend somebody somewhere, probably an elf. Let's move on to our third beacon. Nardal. So again, this week it's been a mix of Central Gondor and game grinding along with Bjorn leveling and a dash of minstrel advancement thrown in for good measure. Uh, Bragg has been working on his Vanguard of Central Gondor deed uh, in order to earn the first stage symbol that comes along with it. Uh, of course, uh, from what I've heard, they are dropping fairly frequently in epic battles. So if I procure one before then, all the good. I do have many alts that can use uh, use them if necessary. Um, I have, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in my last broadcast, but I am kindred with Ringlo Vale now, so that's one third of the triad down. And I was grinding in the, um, the Restless Dead caves that connect through to the Orc camp, uh, in northern Ringlo Vale. I think it's called, uh, Tumat or Min Tumat, something along those lines. And there's quite a concentration of mobs there, so with my current guardian, Opinius, I can scoop up as many as I can find in, a, in an area and burn those down and basically grind for reputation items that way uh, after I've done whatever, you know, dailies and or war bands and roving threats I, I care to. And I uh, was uh, wandering back and forth through the caves there, killing willy-nilly. Uh, when another group came in that was uh, basically doing the same thing, but uh, a very unusual group it was. It was, in fact, a minstrel uh, with, on the order of 22 to 23 lore masters on follow, all of them with summoned bog guardians uh, that were basically you know, in a pile on top of each other. 
And uh, the Bog Guardians obviously were set on aggressive stance and were uh, basically ganking anything that came within range. Um, so I did uh, manage to send a tell to this uh, player who allowed me to join his group so that uh, I could partake in the in the um, the reputation items that were being collected in this manner. And uh, it did go quite quickly after that, I have to say. The, um, the window of loot <laughs> from the various Bog Guardian kills was going faster than I could follow it uh, on the left-hand side of my screen. Uh, and so I talked to the individual about this. I said, okay, obviously you're multi-boxing. I've never seen anyone multi-box a full raid of Loremasters before. I have seen something like this uh, in the beaches uh, south of Dol Amroth and the Corsair camps there. I did see a number of Loremasters uh, parked with Bog Guardians just basically farming that area. But I'd never seen this many in one area controlled by one person. And uh, I, had, I couldn't help but I had to ask him how long it took him to level 22 or 23 Loremasters to cap in order to be able to do this. And his response was somewhat enlightening. He said... Well, the first, you know, one or two are kind of slow, but as soon as you have one or two, you can pair them up with the other one or two, and that accelerates, you know, the four, and then the four can accelerate the eight, and then the eight can accelerate the 16, and it kind of builds on itself. So the longest concentration of time is building the first one or two, and then after that, it kind of snowballs, <laughs> and uh, he basically had his own little army. So... I think Bog Guardians is the pet of choice for someone who's looking to farm in this manner. And um, because of the ranged attacks that they have, uh, probably make it uh, easiest for collection purposes. So I have mixed thoughts on this. You know, it's certainly within the legal limits of what Turbine has set out for what they'd like their players to do. He invested the time. He obviously had a lot of time and invested the time. I can't think it's... Uh, I think at times this might be a lot of fun, obviously, as kind of a lark, but in general, gameplay can't be that great. He's got to be lagging. He's got to have, first of all, a supercomputer just to be able to multi-box that many times. Second of all, he's got to be lagging almost everywhere he goes with his own raid around him. And third of all, he's got to log in all 24 tunes, and after you're done collecting in an area, which would probably go pretty quickly, he's got to get back to a camp, and one after the other... Um, you know, either sell off or collect all of his stuff. So he's obviously got it down to a science, but I, I imagine it's a lot of admin and a lot of manual effort to, uh, you know, take care of all those tunes and manage their inventory and so forth. Um, he did give me a stack of uh, 100 uh, reputation items for that area, both the, um, you know, the ones that are worth 50 uh, apiece and the ones that are worth 700. <laughs> so he said it didn't take him long, and if I needed more, to give him a call. And I didn't want to push. Obviously, I would have lucked to have done the other areas too. But I kind of felt like I was cheating and that I'd asked him for enough. Uh, so this was a nice little boost. Um, it got Barrag all the way to Kindred and Ringlow Vale and uh, had enough left over to send to another tune to get them all the way to Kindred and Ringlow Vale and a third tune probably halfway to boot. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thought that was interesting, thought it was worth mentioning. Some of you guys may see Bog Guardian Brigades around the, uh, around the game from time to time. This is one that happened to be on Vilya, and it was certainly an amusing way to spend a half an hour. So, uh, aside from that, I've been grinding indoor Ernil and Labinin um, to try to build rep in those areas. The dailies to me seem a little scattered, a little inefficient. There's a couple different areas to go to in order to pick them all up. 
Um, also, at first, I wasn't seeing a lot of groups for war bands, roving threats, you know, grouping up and moving across the landscape and cleaning those out. Um, I did group up with one the other day, but I, I, I would say, you know, how do you group for roving threats when you don't know where and when they will be? Uh, I think you have to basically be moving across the land, moving across the landscape and questing or doing war bands. And if you see one, then you let people know and have them join in. Uh, but some of them have quite a bit of morale and take quite a few uh, folks to bring down. Um, at least uh, Derek is a solo war band, so that's one that can be taken out without grouping. And there are a few others that are in Dor Neil that are on foot, and that's usually a telltale sign that, you know, even if they have a lot of morale, if they're on foot, generally you can circle them unless they have some kind of stun or uh, root. Um, you can circle them and burn them down even if it takes some time. Uh, you know, just basically uh, gets you dizzy. <laughs> uh, so there are a few few war bands that you can solo in that area. Um, so I did find a group to crisscross the landscape yesterday, get five war bands on a roving threat in one go. Uh, the roving threat was Ripper, which is just west of Lanier. Um, giant dragon that has about two and a half million morale. Uh, takes a little bit of time to burn down. He's got a wound dot that you have to watch out for, but besides that, it's not too dangerous. I generally say you could do it with three players. would take a while. Um, six is preferable. Uh, so we got Ripper. We took out Velash, Shataz, Derek, Hammerson, etc., and Dora Neal, maybe two others that are all in that kind of general area. And that was quite a nice uh, bit of reputation to build up. And also completed my Warbands of Central Gondor Deed, leaving only the Vanguard Deed to complete for the quest of Central Gondor Deed. And uh, aside from that, uh, I, if I decide to be a completionist for the area, I would still need some Slayer Deeds and the Treasure Caches, of course. Uh, Slayer Deeds, you know, I'll probably finish a number of them just traveling across the landscape, um, doing some of these others, and, uh, you know, one or two may take a bit longer. And then the treasure caches, I'll have to decide whether I really want to search for those or if I'll cheat and look them up online. I think just in the general questing of the area, which I finished at this point, I've only found like maybe seven or eight out of 21. You know, Granted, I haven't been patrolling the borders of all the areas, which is generally where you're going to find a lot of them. But, uh, but so maybe I'll do a pass at that and then look up the rest. We'll see. Um, I will say that doing war bands in central Gon uh, central Gondor is um, it's not difficult because of the war bands inherently, but it's difficult because of the clustering of landscape mobs, um, especially mounted, that are out there in the area. You know, you're moving moving across the landscape with a group of five or six. By the time you get where you're going, you're probably going to have six, seven, eight mobs following you uh, that you have to burn down before you can even start the war band or the uh, roving threat. Um, again, I think it speaks to the fact that Turbine amped up the difficulty of the area, but you know maybe there was a better way to do it than packing the mob so tightly that you couldn't traverse without hitting uh, you know, a good number of them on route. So that's my thoughts on that. Um, I did run a 12-man Deeping Wall raid in Big Battle, uh, Epic Battle, and um, garnered... It tells me that I haven't done too many of these because I garnered 16 trade points in one run. Um, you know, I think, uh, first of all, Platinums in those uh, raids are becoming more common for the side quests as more and more people get used to the strategies. Um, so I did garner 16 trade points in that one run uh, through a couple Platinum side quests and, 
either a platinum or gold overall for the run. And uh, that allowed me to reach rank six with Bragg in, uh, in my tree, which is nice. I am definitely noticing a difference in solo runs of big battles now in reaching rank six and having all the tricks in that bag that you can use. Um, I probably need to go back and grind some of those individual solo runs again uh, to upgrade a good number of my medals, I would imagine, now that I'm rank six. Uh, before doing that, I'm already at 144 epic battle trait points, and uh, you know I think that's partially the addition of Peller gear to add to the totals, partially the higher rank allowing me to achieve some better results in some of the ones that I've done, and it makes me think that perhaps 200, which I at one point said I was not willing to do, is perhaps achievable after all, and. Uh, might reach it if I continue to grind for some of the gold jewelry that's not avail now available. Um, you know, give, <laughs> give Turbine some credit. Uh, people didn't want to do epic battles a heck of a lot, but uh, it's been proven time and again that if you put good rewards uh, in the content, people will come. And whether or not they like big battles or epic battles, they're they're certainly running them now in a, you know a fair amount to try to grind for gold jewelry and first age drops, which are available. So speaking of which, I've been checking out the uh, the new vendors in Dal Amroth, the Merit Committee Battle Decorations High Honors and Merit Committee Battle Decorations uh, Standard Honors vendors. Boy, that's a mouthful. Uh, in Dal Amroth, uh, right around the Swan Fountain in the general area where most of the DA grind quests are. And I've been told they're also in Helm's Deep. Uh, so they have jewelry from level 95 and up. Uh, level 95 teals go for about 275 stars. Level 100 gold items go for about 750 stars. Uh, so 275 stars, you know, depending on your results from a big battle, I think I generally say I've been getting maybe in between 75 to 150 stars in a particular epic battle. So, you know, potentially you could get a level 95 teal item in two big battle runs and a level 100 gold item in perhaps... Um, you know, four, five, six runs, some, somewhere in there, uh, just to give you a sense of the amount of effort that might be required. Um, I did not, I have enough stars to purchase at least one item and be well on my way for a second. Uh, I have not done it yet. I'm trying to decide whether to give them to my main Bragg or to give it to my alts first. Uh, Bragg has better jewelry overall than most of my other players, so giving them first stage level 100s would be a larger upgrade. Uh, and so it might be the strategy I take. Um, he's got, Bragg's got mostly level, um, you know, 192 or 195 teals with a couple golds thrown in from HD runs. Um, I did look at the trait bonuses on some of those jewelry items, uh, the set bonuses on some of those jewelry items, and I would say each class has maybe one set bonus that I think is worthwhile having. Um, the others are meh. So, you know, so the rest is just stat upgrades, obviously, which are nice. Uh, but I could see grinding maybe two pieces a piece uh, for each of my level 100 tunes to get the, the more preferable stat bonus, and then we'll see where we are. Still, grinding only two pieces per level 100 tune could make, take me about 40 or so epic battle runs somewhere in that neighborhood. So, heavy sigh. <laughs> Let the grinding begin. In the meantime, um, I was deconning some random legendary items when I noticed that a, uh, a level 100 third age bridle upgrades fury, even before you put legacy points into it, upgrades your fury from 
Right now I have a level 285 bridle, obviously. I've never gotten rid of the one that I earned um, in the Epic Quest line, which was the only Second Age one I've come across in the game without crafting. And uh, so I'm on the Second Age 85, and the amount of fury that it imparts is about 4,000. And I did notice as I was deconning uh, level 100 Third Age bridles that the fury rating on them is almost 14,000. Um, so, you know, I wasn't really sure I wanted to upgrade my legendary bridles or was not motivated to do so, but this might actually be worth doing. Um, Fury contributions, as you probably know, make up a, a pretty good percentage of damage output in a lot of uh, mounted combat. So, uh, not looking forward to it, but it might have to be done. If I'm going to sit here and complain about um, you know, mounted combat guard TBS, which is only melee and and single target, at least in the medium trait line. Um, you know, I think I, I have to invest in you know getting the most damage output out of that I can. And if a level three, uh, 100 third age bridle has that kind of increase in fury, it might actually be worth doing. So aside from that, um, I did take my minstrel out. She cleared about half the quests in Ethering. Slightly more dangerous running with her than with a guard, obviously. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, not being able to scoop every mob in an area <laughs> and burn them all down simultaneously is, is a little slower, but it is tempered by the fact that uh, the Minstrel is a significant DPS upgrade in War Speech over my guard in terms of time required to burn down mobs, so that does help uh, quite a bit. Um, also ran Pilar Gear solo with my Minstrel and uh, had really good rewards. Um, I will say she did die once. Uh, one of the minstrel enemies popped out towards the end of the battle, and I ran over and was fighting it solo because uh, the elven boys were off doing whatever they normally do, playing tiddlywinks on the other side. And um, the minstrel actually DPS was pretty good and did burn me down. I did die, but I was able to run back before it had really had any impact on the outcome of the battle, and uh, I got a, a epic battle rank out of it in my trait panel and at least two pieces of usable jewelry uh, that were upgrades for me in addition to stars of merit so all in all pretty good uh, turnout for the time invested and I can see doing a few more of those um, with some of my other tunes coming up uh, Cappy no, Hunter no, Burglar no, Arcano, Warden no, Champ nada but my Bjorning is now level 46 and um, I'll talk about this a little later, but at this level, boy, what a rush of stuff to do when you're uber-leveling with the shield of Hammerhand on as well as the pocket item and, uh, you know, working off VIP bonus XP. Um, so uh, my Bjorning came out of Evendim with nothing remaining to do there but the Tomb of Elendil, uh, which I will keep in my D-log, as I've discussed in the past. like to have that available to me in case I find a group to go back and do it later. Um, I ground some of the epic quest line, and then I ground to a halt with the epic quest line uh, in in and around Rivendell when they sent me to search for the Black Rider. I don't mind that quest so much, but I know what follows soon after at after that is taking that, getting that stupid stone in my inventory, that elf stone that I keep forever because I don't want to run into three giant elongated troll caves in the troll shaws <laughs> to get to the next part of the story. I do like when you get past that area and you get up into the Misties, uh, fighting with Gimli and obviously the, uh, you know, the 
the instance that occurs with Gimli and then with Legolas and then eventually with uh, the Dragon of Helgrod. Um, you know, I think that's worth doing, but it's just not worth those troll caves, I can't say. At least not in this go-round. Maybe another tune. So uh, at level 45, it was time to get my class book pages in Angmar. So I transitioned to Angmar, and I worked through the Earthkin area there. Uh, there are Orc and Angmar camps, um, you know, which at level 45 are doable, uh, you know, pretty reasonable there off to the east of the Orthkin area um, that I use to grind pages typically. And uh, one side note, if, if you haven't done it in a while, uh, you'll notice that uh, in that area there are a number of Orcs moving siege engines down into the North, north Downs to uh, threaten the Rangers and Esteldeen there, you know, that obviously they end up in Duldinen, or at least part of them do. But um, if you walk by the uh, the orcs that are moving the siege engines there, um, there are a number of hilarious quotes uh, from the orcs that are <laughs> that are uh, that are responsible for this activity. First of all, they're not very thrilled to be doing this. Second of all, they're kind of lazy. And uh, thirdly, the the dialogue is just great. I think you know, I think one of the orc captains is saying something like. I said rest, not sleep. I would kill you, but then no one to push siege engine. <laughs> so he's you know, using some more logic there and justifying it to himself. Um, so there's a, there's a few uh, a few amusing quotes as uh, as you move that uh, through that area. Uh, so I did work on the fem set that uh, comes in Og Hair. As, as some of you know that have been with the game for a while, the fem set is the best set of armor you can get at level 45 in the game. Really the well, not the first one, but one of the first ones that has major set bonuses attached to it that are worth having, both in terms of the armor and some of the jewelry that you can get uh, questing for the booth souk and the booth sock or whatever they're called um, in that general area, two, two of the kind of powerful subgroups within the, um, the Oghair tribe. Uh, but I did notice, of course, that the fem set uh, that you could acquire there from medium standpoint um, featured set bonuses of additional power and incoming power regeneration. So for some other medium armor classes like the Hunter, that could make a lot of sense, obviously, or the Champion, but for Bjorning, it's meaningless. So I'm actually, for the first time, finding some other quest armor uh, in that area that's better than the Fem set based on the set bonuses being somewhat useless to me. So that's a new one. Obviously, it would be nice to have Bjorn options in the fem set that would be worth them having, but um, you know, I think those are going to be phased in over time or not at all now that people are kind of power leveling through that area. You know, it used to be a fem set would be good for you until you got into Moria at least, but uh, you know, that leveling's coming pretty quickly. You know, I always found the, the question was when to start discarding the fem set and getting rid of the set bonuses. I'd collect a couple alternate pieces, and when I had enough of them, I'd switch over. Uh, but I don't have to deal with that quandary this time around. Uh, that being said, the quest arcs in Aughair are always welcome. I think they're well done. The people there, you know, the indigenous people are, are being threatened. They have an interesting story about how they're interfacing with the other tribes in the region. Uh, that really launches you into the Angmar area well. It's a great story arc, uh, challenging area. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like... I know a lot of people don't like Angmar. I know some people call it Angry Mar or other nasty names. Might be a future episode coming at one point talking about why I love Angmar as one of the best areas in the game. Um, so uh, I moved with the Epic Quest line. Uh, you know, I, I think 
the quests in that area dovetail very well with the epic quest line so that you can uh, as you're moving through the epic quest line you can kind of carve out quests that follow it very closely and do them in tandem which is always nice uh, specifically the main story point to advance past the watching stones um, the line of death as it's called and uh, I did so in advance to Gable Shather and uh, East to uh, encounter Nethra and the Seven Swords, which is another one of my uh, one of my um, favorite quest arcs in Angmar. On a side note, you know, I was wondering before I got past the um, the Watchers in Eastern Malinhad. Uh, I wanted to verify something I'd never looked at before. As some of you know, there's a there's a backstair entrance to Karn Doom in the western settle of Duncovad, um, you know, on the western side of the map. And uh, I'd always wondered, you know, I'd never tried to go through that that backdoor entrance before I'd finished the epic quest line for the Watching Stones. And I was wondering, are there Watchers there? And will they incapacitate you the way the ones in Eastern Malinhad will? Or is this really a back door where you can get into Karn Doom without having to cross that line? So I took my Bjorning over there to uh, see if there was any way that he could get, you know, run past those mobs and get up there and get past, you know, where their Watchers in place. And I quickly learned that, uh, you know, whether or not you could get through there with a level 46 tune is kind of moot because the number of 12k morale elite guards that you have to fight through in Duncovad to get there uh, pretty much renders it a moot question. Um, I had to, I, I don't think I even got past one group where I had to hightail it out of there at that point. Uh, so it's well guarded. Uh, I did run back with a higher level tune later and um, verify that there are a couple watchers that flank one of the gates there at one point. So I'm guessing they thought about that and decided to uh, make sure that line of death extended all the way across to the western part of the map. Uh, but I did run past the silent watchers in eastern Malahad without advancing the quest, just to see the text one more time. The will of the silent watchers has overpowered you. You do not yet have the strength to overcome their malice. So um, I love the Watchers in Angmar because they're uh, you know a direct reference to a Tolkien uh, creation in the Lord of the Rings, uh, that of the Watchers of um, of the Gates of uh, Kirithungul or Minas Morgul, I should say. So uh, you know in the in the in the books they're much more kind of pronounced than in the movies. The movies kind of imply that the Watchers set off an alarm when you try to go past. Uh, it's kind of invisible magic that settled on them. So it's very logical that they had something like that in Angmar as well. And, uh, you know, lends a nice evil taint to the landscape. Uh, so I did run back with Bragg later to confirm the the Watchers in the Western Route uh, through Duncovad and up into Karn Doom. And every once in a while, if you've never done it, I love taking that trek because, um, you know, winding its way up through the mountain, first of all, through the towns of Duncovad, uh, you know, there's no reason to go into the deeper areas of that city uh, once you advance past the group quests there, unless you're trying to get up that western ramp into Karn Doom. Uh, so I'm willing to guess a lot of people have never tread that path or haven't done it in a long time. There are some beautiful views up in those mountains, and I know beautiful is a relative term because the mountains are dark and they're icy and patchy and, you know, the landscape is bleak, but I do think it is beautiful. And that back end of Karn Doom, um, you know, going up that way is so sprawling, uh, so ambitious. I, I just think it's wonderfully done. 
Um, there should have been somehow more purpose in traveling that western route. Uh, you know, much like one of the more uh, scary deeds in the game for a long time was the circle of despair in uh, going up all the ramps and finding all the doors to Barad Gularan in eastern Angmar. We would have liked to have seen a deed that recounted hitting major steps along the way of that western route uh, to make some kind of reward uh, to drive groups to do it. So maybe there was something at one point in the game that made that route worth running with a group just to grind your way all up. But uh, but by the time I gained that area, I was not aware of anything that would incent you to do so uh, besides just seeing the path. So if you're beyond the level where you would aggro mobs in that area and it's not such a hassle anymore, I encourage you to go back and run that circle. It is uh, a neat area of the game. Uh, makes me pine for what they'll do with Mordor, um, seeing what they did with Karn Doom. Mordor has to be so much larger. Uh, I just hope they have the resources to do it justice. Uh, so from Gable Shather, I worked my way north to Merkwith with my Bjorning, and then on to Garth Fortner with some select questing kind of surrounding the epic quest line. Um, I ended my Angmar questing at this point with a mission to penetrate the very fortress of the Witch King. Uh, to be continued in a future beacon. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So my point of my essay is that at level 45, there's so much to do. If you wanted to, you could go down to Regian and start getting your legendary weapons outside of Moria at Eshad Dunan. Um, you could work on completing the epic quest line in the Misty Mountains that ends with uh, your match with Thorog uh, and uh, helping out Gimli there. Um, you can finish your class book quests uh, which are, you earn at level 45, um, meaning finding all your pages for your class books in either Forakel, Angmar, Misty Mountains, or Region, or Moria. Or you could finish your class quests, which were bestowed upon me at level 45 as well. Um, so the class quests are, you know, something that you would normally have to grind through from levels 45 to 50. And these are the quests early in the game where you had to obtain rare items uh, either in the Misty Mountains or in Angmar. In, in, you know, they drop in some other areas as well in order to satisfy you know, a series of quests. And I think each one had three rounds. Uh, one for your Articles of Fortitude, that's your armor, and one for your Weapons of Resilience. Um, and each, each one required you to get a special item from uh, an elite mob as well as anywhere from 15 to 25 uh, items from grinding mobs in the landscape in those regions. So I did notice from the Bjornings that the early round, um, instead of act finding actual objects uh, that would go in your inventory, they would uh, basically, they're like quest objects, they would drop off the mob and they would register, but you wouldn't have them in your inventory. So it was basically Slayer quests at that point. Uh, so I think that was a workaround for them. Um, and I was a little disappointed because I've got a bank at my house where I keep, uh, you know, a wealth of objects of each of those kind. And, you know, basically they sit there and they hardly ever get touched unless I'm leveling another tune or I have a friend or a kinmate who needs some of them. Uh, so I was a little miffed. I was like, I was expecting to go to my house and just unload a bunch of inventory, clear up some space and get these done. But I had to go grind Slayer quests instead. So that was kind of a bummer. Uh, the next round had a mix of some old objects and some new. Um, so I was able to use some of the things out of my chest at my house for those, and then some others that I had not seen before that I had to go grind on the landscape. And then uh, the last round of quests, the capstones were the same, uh, including, I think, like the badge of command 
And, of course, the Putrid Slime of Helchgam, which was always one of the more difficult ones to get um, in the game as well. Um, so had one each of those in order to be able to finish those off. Nice to put those to use after sitting fallow in my quest uh, in, my, in my vault for quite some time. And so I got all three of those done. And for that, I got to run up to uh, one of the hubs in the Misty Mountains named Vindural for a visit with Grimbjorn, who had traveled across the mountains, apparently, to talk to me about the fact that he decided, you know what, I know you've been questing for 45 levels, and I've decided what you're doing is actually good, and you should keep on doing it, because we're going to have to fight the forces of evil eventually. Um, and for that, he gave me a single class trait point. And I have to say, it was cool seeing Grimbjorn, and it made sense for him to be in the Misty Mountains, um, but... I was a little disappointed with the reward. <laughs> As you may know, if you've done these quests on other classes, they are quite a grind, even if you have the stuff laid up, or if I guess you can just buy it in skirmish camps now, although I don't like to do that unless I have to. Um, but you used to get some really nice you know, options around either jewelry, like a really nice ring, or a weapon, or a piece of armor that you could use that was the best you could get in the game at that point for your character. And that would at least, at least last you until you got into Moria, if not farther. And with the Bjorning quest, they didn't have time to install any of that gear. So you get no, no gear, uh, and you get a single class trade point out of it, as you get for finishing your books as well. So I have to say I was a little disappointed with that. But the point of my story is that, okay, you've got class books, you've got class quests, you've got the epic, you have to see off the Fellowship in Rivendell around this point in time. Um, you have the option to go to Goblin Town, the Misty Mountains, Angmar, Forakel, the Trollshaws. You can do new skirmishes that are being um, awarded at this point in time, continue with epic quest lines, etc. And right now, I have all those options and things to do before I head into Moria in about four levels, if I don't go early. So, um, you know, after a little bit of a lull, as always hits her in between even dim and getting up to 45. Uh, you know, now there's more things than I can possibly do, and I'm going to end up having to skip most of them. But that's enough about what I've been doing in-game. I'll continue to describe my adventures with the Bjorning as we uh, roar his roar outside of uh, or through the halls of Moria. But for now, it's time for our next beacon. On to Erelas. For our last this week, we're going to reach into Bragg's Grab Bag. Yes, Grab and Bag are both spelled with double A as well. Uh, first item I wanted to mention, and this has uh, been mentioned on some other podcasts I've listened to this week, uh, Chance Thomas will not be returning uh, to pen music for Lord of the Rings Online, at least at this point in time. He published some messages out on Twitter indicating that, uh, I guess, talks had broken down between him and Turbine, and he was not going to be asked back. So this is bad news. Everyone knows this is bad news. Chance has produced some of the best music in the game. Um, some things I actually don't mind listening to over and over and over. Uh, you know, I think Lotro's in-house music is getting better, and it's okay. But Chance's music was special, and I think everyone knew it. So this has got to be a reflection of budget cuts. You know, I'm sure Chance gave him gave them preferential treatment to and a special number and deal. I would imagine in order to continue to do this because it is close to his heart and Lotro decided they just couldn't afford it, uh, which is a shame. Um, so, 
you know, never close the door. Who knows? Things could change, but it's unlikely at this stage in the game, I'd have to say. Um, be wonderful to see him back from his tier with our Mordor, but uh, at this point, I think we'll just have to thank him for his contributions and hope that they can make the best of the in-house talent that they have going forward. Uh, secondly, I wanted to mention that there was a lot of uh, chatter around the Twitter sphere for Peter Jackson's star on the Walk of Hollywood, which was presented this week. I guess uh, there was quite a turnout in fans as well as um, co-stars from the movies that are all doing the press tours together anyway for the Hobbit premieres, which are upcoming. Um, so I'm sure they scheduled that to take advantage of the fact that he would be in Hollywood with a number of those folks uh, for the premiere of The Hobbit, which is coming up shortly. Which brings me to my next item in the grab bag. A mere eight days at the time of this recording until the Battle of Five Harmies hits U.S. US audiences. So I've only seen fanboy reviews so far out on the internet, folks that have seen it in Australia and the U.K., and obviously those are appropriately uh, enthusiastic about the outcomes. Uh, but I do say that uh, I do expect big things myself. I'm excited for the film, and I do expect it to be the best of the three Hobbit films and hopefully a fitting capstone. Uh, this will be a true event for my family uh, going out to see this film, and um, we'll probably be doing some Hobbit an expected journey and desolation of smog pre-watchings over the next week or so in preparation. I have to say, um, waxing a bit nostalgic that I'll, I'll miss um, Middle Earth, Christmases in Middle Earth as kind of a tradition from the six movies coming out over the last decade plus. Uh, they've been a hallmark of the season for a long time now, <laughs> either going to see the movies or uh, buying them on DVD for the family. And you have to wonder if this is kind of the end of an era as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, I will say that having read The Silmarillion, which, I, by the way, I found a 1977 edition of at a garage sale this weekend for $1. Yes. Um, it, it should not ever be a film, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, but that does not mean it may never be, take the form of entertainment for uh, public audiences outside of the written form. I think with the success of Game of Thrones as um, a multi-season TV series, I think that is pretty much the only uh, channel that I could see being successful with the stories of the Silmarillion, uh, since they could be told in serial. Uh, I could definitely see parts of it or all of it being done as mini miniseries someday. Will it be done as a miniseries? Uh, I think Game of Thrones has proven these games can be you know, financially viable, and with the audience Tolkien has built in, my bet is that, yes, it might be done as a movie, uh, a series, a miniseries someday, obviously, if we can get past the Tolkien Estates rights question, which is always so dicey. So let's hope that someday we see that. That's a prediction from Bragg. It may take a couple of years to pay out, but when it does, I'll say, you viewers knew who said it first, even if you weren't viewers. So um, Christmas also means the traditional timing of the producer's letter. So I expect that should be coming out sometime over the next three weeks. Um, I, you know, I think there's probably not a heck of a lot more that can be said beyond what they've told us is coming next year at this point uh, with Osgiliath and Minas Tirith. Uh, but I do expect some kind of surprise. Typically they like to throw in a couple nuggets that uh, would tantalize for 2015 um, so what could those surprises be? Maybe I'll speculate in a future 
podcast. I, I don't have a lot of hope that it means a PvP map for Osgiliath, but I would say it's still a remote possibility. Remote possibility. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what other nuggets they can throw our way in terms of what they'd like to do. I still expect some level of class trait revamps uh, to come out again in the future. Obviously, they've got the imbuement system to uh, to finish off as well as uh, group content. And it would be nice for them to have, make some kind of promise for uh, what kind of group content we can expect going forward in the expansions, or not expansions, but content releases for 2015. So hopefully there is a space for some kind of... Um, traditional raid instance within that uh, producer's letter. I can't think of a better per Christmas present they could send to the Lotro community beyond fixing the music system, of course, um, in the short term than giving some hope to the, the raiders that are out there. So that's my prediction. I'm saying that one of the surprises in the producer's letter will be uh, a form of group content which will hopefully get some people excited. Um, but aside from that, in 2015, I think they should have one, minish, one mission. That is to make Minas Tirith as awesome as it could possibly be. Uh, huge in a zone in and of itself. And not just background, but you know, integral stories woven in and around you know, the, the place. They've really got to make it feel the sense of the ancient history that's there. And the only way to do that is by making it interactive with content. Uh, so beyond making it look nice and hopefully not a huge lag fest building you know the lore of the place in and around the way that you just explore and discover it is uh maybe the best present they could have for us in 2015 okay one last item in the grab bag for this week and uh it's a little bit longer when i'm starting to wax a little long i tend to do that sometimes i do run on get this beard out of my way so i could speak Maybe a crack of an ale. Okay, so in doing some random interweb searching this week, I came across an article from Ten Ton Hammer that was published a couple years ago, actually. And it was called Strange Surreal Semi-Secret Spots in Lotro. And I don't think I'd seen this article before. Um, Grima, put the link in the show notes, will you? It's Ten Ton ha Oh, we don't have show notes. That's right. Uh, Grima, write us some show notes. It's um, if you do a search on Ten Ton Hammer, secret spots in Lotro, you'll find it. Uh, the link is tentonhammer.com/lotro/guides/misc/gems, and uh, I th there were a few interesting things in there. Most most of the things that they went over were things that I was familiar with, but actually, you know, I love when I discover things in the game. You know, I've been in the game as long as I have, and. There are some areas or, you know, a doorway that I missed that uh, leads me to a new discovery in Middle-earth. So let me go through a few of these. And the first one was a surprise right off the bat. Uh, you know, a lot of you guys may have seen some of this stuff. Some of you may have not. But uh, in this particular instance, um, the greenhouse in Arid Luin. So if you're walking up to Thorns Hall, and right before the main gate you take a right to where the skirmish camp is, there's a doorway on the right-hand side of the wall which actually leads you into the farmer's craft area for Arid Luin. Um, so there are fields in there where you can plant. 
But the room that it's in is actually an indoor greenhouse, uh, which I don't think I've ever stepped into, or if I did, it was so long ago that I don't remember it. Um, Kind of a pretty room with kind of these translucent ceilings, letting the light kind of shine through a number of trees with these kind of penned-in, you know, field areas for planting around. And, you know, can't believe the number of times I ran by this door and never tried it to see if it would lead somewhere. So the greenhouse of Thorns Hall, a pretty little room. Go check it out if you haven't seen it before. The second one mentioned in the article is the methyl stage. This might be one of the more common ones I think that everyone would know, especially if you're an RP or you know the methyl stage uh, north of Hobbiton in the Shire. The third one it mentioned is the mess hall in Bree. So, you know, someday if you're you're exploring Bree, um, kind of uh, just to the north of the Boar's Fountain, I think, on the right-hand side, there's a door that leads into the mess hall. And the reason you might not go in there is that there's really no earthly reason to. There's no quests, there's no NPCs, there's no, um, you know, there's no vendors of any kind or anything. But it is a very nicely decorated room uh, with a feast laid out. And uh, I have to agree with the speculation here that it might have just been meant as a nice RP setting for, uh, you know, for a large celebration uh, for role players. Okay, the next mention was the other one that was maybe one of the bigger surprises to me. Um, and this is a an a, dilapid, a dilapidated fortress in the northern lone lands or um, or Bree area, uh, north of the Midwater Marshes in kind of the Weather Hills, and it's called Ost Alagos. And I think I may have seen this a long time ago, but I'd certainly forgot about it. And uh, you know, it kind of stands in the Weather Hills, which is. You know, the, the lake south of the North Downs, Nenharn, and east of um, Hengstacer's Farm, where you get your steeds, is kind of one of the more sparsely populated areas of the game. There's one or two quests you can get there from Hengstacer's Farm to go east and, like, kill some turtles and maybe a, an elite uh, wood troll that's over there. And then there's really not much else. And, um, you know, a whole area south of that until you reach the Midwater, Midgewater Marshes and the area around Candate's Camp, uh, Glum Hollow, that's part of the epic quest line, you know, in, in that area basically is, you know, a bunch of rolling hills with not much to be done. But you will come across this fortress near the Eye and Weather Hills on the map, uh, which basically, you know, you'll be walking along and you'll have um, spiders from the Chetwood at level 20 <laughs> on the right and the left, and, you know, maybe some wargs at about the same level. And all of a sudden, you'll come across some mobs um, uh, that are elite orcs. <laughs> um, now, the guide says level 50, and so with my 46th level Bjorning, I went up there to see if I could explore the area and, and maybe kill some kill some guys and kind of experience it a little bit. As I got closer, I found out the guide was wrong. It was actually level 55 orcs, and they were all purple. And uh, I was able to kill um, them singly, uh, through uh, you know using all my bag of tricks, but uh, but could not take more than one obviously, and there were a number of camps in there that had two to three at a time. So I basically did some run-throughs of the fortress just to see it and kind of jump out the other side down a hill before I could get killed. Um, but it's kind of crazy that all these level 55 purple orcs are roaming the landscape around this fortress in in the middle of Bree. It's really the only level area that high on the entire map that I can, you know, think of 
um, off the top of my head, unless there's something from the epic quest line that takes you back and lets you get deeper. Obviously, there are some some barrows in the barrow downs, which are level 45 and up for rep grinding. Um, so that's worth checking out if you've never seen it before. Uh, the next listed item is the Freeze Tag Arena in the Southern Brief Fields. I think most people know about those, but I really didn't discover them until maybe my second or third year in the game when I went with a kin to do some, play some games. So if you haven't uh, discovered those, those are worth checking out. It can be fun for a diversion. Uh, it mentions a wolf pack in the Lone Lands, which kind of patrols around um, near south of Ostalagos that I was describing before. Uh, there's this little dip on the river that goes to Glum Hollow, and apparently there's a pack of wolves there that kind of band together one by one and then make a run up this uh, this path. And uh, I've seen lots of wargs in that area, but I've never noticed the pack behavior it talked about. So I always like when I see those little touches in the game. Uh, the next mention is for the Etten Caves in the North Downs. So if you go down to the the Elven area, Melowinen, I think it is, on the southern part of the North Downs, uh, there's a boggy, swampy area, uh, and uh, part of the questing has you go up there and uh, attack some of the some of the trolls, the the Etten the Etten trolls that are up there. And there there is actually a deep cave that you can go into that goes back. That's um, got some neat stuff to explore. I'm not sure if there's a quest that takes you in there or not. There might be at least one, but it's it's a deep cave and there's some some neat artwork in there that's uh, lovingly done. If you haven't explored it before. Uh, the next mention is for the ultimate fighting trolls, they're called in Even Dim. <laughs> so if you go to a Numenos and you battle your way through Tearband and Chlorhir and convert those flags over to the point where the um, the bridge leading to Tile Annan is opened up, you can run across that bridge and then there's areas down to the right and to the left that you can explore um, that you may not have seen before. And uh, on the set of steps leading down to the left, if you run down there, there's a plaza where a number of Angmarum are standing around in a circle while two trolls beat the crap out of each other with clubs. <laughs> and it looks like kind of a, uh, you know, a cockfighting ring. And uh, apparently there's one guy with a bowler hat taking bets. And I, ha I have seen that area before and some of the detail, and it's, it is kind of fun uh, if you haven't seen it. The next area mentioned is in the Trollshaws. Um, in the southern part of the map, southwest of Ashad Candeleth uh, is a Gwaradain area that has some questing um, that you can do around that area. And if you penetrate the Gwaradain kind of ruins and structure, there is a cave. And the Gordon Cave is actually uh, it's got some neat artwork in it. It's kind of ivy-colored stone walls. If you haven't been in there before, that's kind of neat. Uh, it's not on the list, but I'll add to it the, uh, the Wood Troll Cave that uh, is back a little bit to the west and north of there. You have to go uh, through a stream, forward a stream, and then up across a um, a, uh, a bridge made out of a fallen tree to go into a wood troll cave back there, which is kind of neat too. Uh, the next mention is for Gollum's Cave in the Misty Mountains. I think you know most people know about that at least, and uh, if you've ever been questing in Goblin Town, you've tried to find it for sure. It is a little difficult to find the first time you ever go, but after that, uh, it's not too hard. Just go as far back as you can go before you reach the Goblin Town throne room and then head uh, to the right as far as you can go and you'll find G Gollum's mural, which is one of my favorite murals in the game, um, as well as his cave. And for Kel, Anywhere at Night is the next mention, just uh, talking about the Aurora Borealis and some of the views that can be seen there. 
the next mention is for the Gate of Gath-Uar. Extra points if you can remember where that is before I share it. The Gate of Gath-Uar is actually um, in the northeast section of Angmar leading to the Rift of Nurzgashu. So if you're in the Ring of Terror around Barad Gularan, which is filled with all kinds of elite Kargul, dragons, drakes, fire giants, etc., um, you have to run through the Gate of Gath-Uar to get into the area of the game where the, the, the Rift of Nurzgashu is set. And I, I love this area of the map. I just think it's so epic, you know, the history and kind of lore and ancientness around the rift and what's been going on there. And, and uh, you know, the, the entrance to it is so heavily guarded. I, I still remember the first time I ran through there with my guard using every heal and trick I had in the book and just running as fast as I could to see if I could get through there without getting killed. Um, it's not easy to do on level, and it used to be back before the days of the Instance Finder. Somebody would have to make that run every time they wanted to do a Rift run um, and get to the horn there and summon the rest of the party or have a hunter set his campfire there. Uh, but uh, it's um, it's a neat piece of art, too, the way it's kind of carved into the rock with all the the steel and the wood buttresses and all the, the mean mobs around there. So if you didn't do it on level, go back with an over-level character and run through there sometime. Uh, Maybe just for nostalgia if you've been around the game as long as I have. The next mention is for uh, the peak in a region on the Holland Ridge, uh, kind of northeast of Pembar, um, around an area that has a lot of salamanders and a couple quests to, to kill some salamander sires. There is a secret quest where you run along the south end of the ridge to get up to this uh, kind of lonely elven tower that stands at the top of the mountain. And if, if you get to that area you get the title of Ridge Runner. And there's uh, videos out on YouTube that show you the path to take if you can't figure it out. Uh, but it does have a nice view of the entire region from there, and it was something I didn't discover in my first passes through a region. I saw the tower up there, but didn't know that there was a way to get to it. And uh, went back and got that title later. The next mention is for the tavern above the 21st Hall in Moria, where I am standing, drinking a beer. It calls for an ale. Or ginger ale for you youngins. Um, it is a cool place to visit if you've never been there before. Get yourself a Moria keg and drink until you get lucky. That's uh, that's what he said. Okay, the next listing is for uh, Galadriel's Garden in Calus Galadorn. This is probably one of the more more well known areas of the game. Um, I will say that it, you know, for the amount of care that went into its creation by the devs, it is. A little underused. Obviously, you go there in the epic quest line a few times, but um, it is a beautiful zone and uh, a beautiful area that's well done. The next mention is for a peak on top of a ruined fortress in Mirkwood, Ostgalad, the central hub in the center of the zone. Um, epic quest line takes you to the top of that structure up a series of uh, wooden ramps, but what not everyone knows is that if you take a path to the north around the top wall and kind of work your way securitously through a, a number of jumps and through hugging some walls, you can get to uh, another part of the structure on the northern part uh, that will add, um, that will give you a, another hidden title or deed called Master Ascender. Uh, again, you can find uh, maps out there on how to do that if you haven't done it before, and it is a cool view. Uh, Northwoods over the trees up towards. Um, the fortress of 
Barrett Goulder. Uh, the next mention is for the fishing hole in Enidwaith, a place that I've mentioned before, the very western part of the map, before you find the little hobbit town that's there. It's just to the south of the entrance where you have to do a little trick jump over a hill to get back into it. And it is the best place in the game, in my opinion, to finish off your fishing deed because as you're sitting there doing your 20 XP per day, that's the max you can get for fishing, there are two um, treasure chests that you can loot about every five minutes so you can build up some nice, uh, some nice gold while you're doing it at the same time. Uh, the last mention on the list is the Snowman Village in Tal Methodris, which I've mentioned before, and I have been there before, but there is one thing mentioned here that I was not aware of around the Snow Village, and that is, uh, without a, a spoiler alert, you'll know that uh, in Tal Methodris there's some fairly significant events that go on uh, in the course of the epic quest line, and um, you know there's a sudden change in that area when you go back to it. And apparently, if you go up to the Snow Village prior to that change in the epic quest line, you'll find, uh, you know, a number of kind of forkelish looking, um, looking uh, snow igloos, as well as a number of snowmen hanging about uh, outside playing various poses, all taken from the winter festival event, uh, kind of cutesy. But apparently, if you go back after the uh, events of the epic storyline, where the town has kind of been turned around, you'll find that the entire area has been smashed. So uh, another good um, example of the phasing technology which was introduced in Dunland uh, to show this area in a different light. So the next tune I take through Dunland, I'm going to have to go back and look at the smashed snowman fortresses and, uh, and snowmen as opposed to the view that I've seen of their creation. So uh, you probably know most of those, but maybe one or two you haven't heard of before that you might want to go check out in the game. thought it was an interesting article and wanted to share it with you. And putting my hand all the way down, grabs bag, grabs brag, brag, grab brag is empty. Whatever you want to call it. There's nothing left. So let's move on to our fifth beacon. Min Rimon. Now a word from our sponsors. This episode of Let the Beacons is brought to you by Phil Gashin's Diner. Need a little home cooking around the holidays? Why not head over to Phil Gashin's? After a few helpings of our mystery mashed potatoes, you will be saying, This armor's hampering my reflexes. Phil Gashin's. Open 24 hours in the flaming deeps. Fill it up at Phil's. And lastly, don't forget during the holiday season to give generously to Sofimska the Sarah Okart Foundation for Slow-Moving Children. With your payhang donation, Leisurely Evil is kindled. Onward to Kalanhad. For Kalanhad this week, we're going to do a Lotro Quest highlight, and the quest du jour is the Gates of Karn Doom, an epic quest indeed. So let's talk a little bit about the Gates of Karn Doom. First of all, where are we in the storyline? There are some precursors there. As we make our way to Garth Fortner, we meet uh, Lorneil, the daughter of Goladiel, uh, and um, a rogue hillman uh, that is betraying Angmar tells you that Goladir is being moved from his imprisonment in Karn Doom and gives you a scroll with black speech written on it. Taking it back to Garth Fortner, Fortner you are told... Uh, by the elf Laradan that he can tra not translate the speech, but he believes Elrond can. 
And so traveling across the country, which is the hallmark of the FedEx quest of Volume 1, um, you find Elrond in his library of all places, and he translates for you that the, uh, the scroll in question is instructions for making a key to pass the gates of Karn Doom, and sends you to uh, Dwalin, one of the uh, dwarven veterans of the uh, trip to Erebor with Bilbo, who is now um, ruling over Thorns Hall. Uh, Dwalin sends you to find Mithril to build the key and the key form. The only place to find Mithril, as he says, is perhaps a chunk might be available at the Matham House that Bilbo donated. So you head off to the Matham House to talk to someone, Foxtail, get your chunk of Mithril. He, even though it's worth the entire of the Shire, he just hands it over to you like an idiot. And then you find the key form, which happens to be, of all places, on an, a, in the Chetwood, <laughs> confiscated by John Brackenbook from... Uh, a mob, um, a mob whose level is so low that he's inconsequential and couldn't possibly have acquired this. So, um, using the mithril in the key form, you return to Dwalin, who says you need Thror's hammer uh, in order to be able to work the mithril, which is only available in Scorgrim's, Scorgrim's tomb. Those of you who've been playing the game more than the last, uh, I'd guess, two to three years may remember that Scorgrim's tomb used to be on a passage path past the uh, elven refuge of Edwiland in, um, in, uh, right next to Thorns Hall, but has now been kind of moved to the southern part of the map to be a little more accessible, unfortunately. And through an instance in Scorgrim's tomb where you fight some, some dread spirits, uh, you do recover Thror's hammer, which uh, has a nice ring to it. Uh, and working through Dwalin's Forger, you, you uh, create the key and return to Lorneal in Garth Fortner. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert. So, um, this is a lot of running around <laughs> for Volume 1. It's the hallmark of Volume 1. I have to say I don't mind it as much in this instance. Um, most of the places you're going to are fairly close to stables. Uh, the Matham House and Mickle Delving. Um, from there, you can fast travel to Combe, just run quickly north to Archette. Um, then port to Rivendell from Bree. It's it's really not that bad, um, you know. And then back to Thorns Hall, obviously, to get Scorgrim's key. Blah blah blah. Um, so it is a fair amount of running around, but there's some fairly epic events happening in between, which I think are kind of neat, and bringing you back to key areas of the game, and and uh, it, it all makes sense in terms of the story. So at that point, when you talk to Lord Neil. Uh, you get the quest bestowal log for the Gates of Karn Doom. Using the scroll of the Hillman, a key to the Gates of Karn Doom has been forged. Now the heroes of Eriodor and Lorneil, daughter of Goladir, must pass the Gates of Karn Doom and free the ranger from the clutches of Mordrith, the steward of Angmar. You have traveled to Runendine with Lorneil, and using the key you helped forge, she's going to search for her father. So uh, then you get involved with uh, what used to be a fellowship-level quest uh, to escort Lorneil up to the gates of Karn Doom to try to recover her dear old dad. And um, as a fellowship quest, it made a lot of sense because you could bring along a healer to keep Lorneil alive <laughs> while everybody else was burning down the mobs. Uh, so this is very doable in solo mode with inspiration. Um, with inspiration. Uh, depending on your class. So the problem with this quest, and you'll find a lot of threads out there in the forums about it, is that uh, in some cases the the escort class, uh, escort quest to keep Lorneal alive through this instance can be very difficult, depending on your class. And uh, probably the most class that has the most difficulty with it would likely be the burglar. Uh, 
Um, as a guard, it's pretty easy because I can taunt the mobs off of her whenever she's uh, being attacked. But I, I have had trouble with this uh, quest with other classes that don't have good AoE damage because throughout the instance, you'll, um, you will uh, aggro uh, Pale Folk three at a time. And if the Pale Folk are not quil killed quickly enough, they will summon, uh, you know, level 50 big morale Uruks that will attack you. And uh, so they have to be they have to be burned down pretty quickly because if you get a number of Uruks uh, out there at the same time, um, then you get in big trouble and Lorneal gets killed typically. So, so it is uh, it is rather difficult uh, to do uh, for some classes. I've I have to, I've had to run it several times with certain classes until I kind of got the hang of it. And for a lot of it, it's it's in certain cases running ahead of Lorneal and aggroing the the next group of mobs before she can reach you to keep her out of trouble. But uh, again, a little difficult to do, especially with a class like a burglar. Um, so eventually you have your encounter with, with Mordrith, and there are some fairly pivotal events in the Volume 1 books. Um, one other tip I have in this quest, if you grab the, in Garth Forthner, since you're there already, there's a quest to kill, I think it's either 10 or 20 Gorthrog. I think it's 20, and, um, which is kind of a pain to burn them all down. But in this instance, you come up against 10, which is half the number that you need. And if you intentionally fail the instance after you kill the 10th Gorthrog and run it again, you can get that quest done at the same time. So um, that's a little tip. Um, so Narm Lorneal meets an untimely, you know, spoiler alert, Lor Lorneal meets an untimely end in front of the gates of Karn Doom. And, uh, you know, as you get to the end of the volume, Narmaleth is mourned. But what of Lorneal? Uh, she is actually obviously one of the more tragic figures in this volume. Uh, Goladir, in my opinion, is one of the more epic NPCs in the game and deserves a fitting finish to his story arc when all is said and done. I really hope they allow him to do justice um, through his end to either redeem Lorneal or or do her memory justice. You know, so the reason I wanted to highlight this this quest is because it is one of the more pivotal quests that really sets the groundwork for what's happening in Volume 1, in my opinion. It's got huge emotional range uh, for the plight of Lorneal and Goladir and sets the stage for Goladir, who will continue to interact with. You know, it's, so its, its events will have echoes into Volume 2 and Volume 3, and hopefully if they do the right thing, into completion of Goladir's story arc at some point. So this is momentous stuff. Momentous stuff, uh, you know, creating a, a key to Karn Doom to penetrate into the into the heart of the enemy stronghold. It's it's reminiscent to me of the elves' invasion of Angband in the Silmarillion. Um, you know, we're really shaping the events of the Third Age here with deeds worthy of song. So enjoy your next rendition of the penetration of the gates of Karn Doom. And with that, it brings us to our seventh beacon, Halitherian. Edris is in sight. It's time for blessed relief. And look, I'm already at a tavern. How fortuitous. That brings us to the end of the 22nd episode of Light the Beacons, the Tutu Twain of episodes. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for abalone. 
on Facebook or Twitter at Bragson of Ballon or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you to take the time to create an iTunes review if perchance you are so inclined. I would very much appreciate it. I did notice recently in a search of Light the Beacons online or on Lotro Podcasts online that Light the Beacons is now midway down the first page of results that uh, that turns up when you do that search. So I'm very encouraged to hear that. I thank all the followers that uh, have given me the traffic to reach that level, and hopefully it'll bring my podcast to more folks out there um, that will appreciate it, and uh, they can celebrate in this episode that I did not sing. If your comments incite me to forgo my dwarven apathy, which is rampant, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. I hope to return to you before the holidays. I can't guarantee it at this point. This is a busy time of year, but perhaps we'll try to do something short and to the point right before. Um, just in case I don't, hope you have a very merry holiday. And I hope you laughed either at or with me. hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. Most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, son of Balan, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time the Pale Folk summon Yurik warriors when you're a burglar on an escort quest, don't despair. Light those beacons, baby. Take care, everyone. It's dark and scary out here. <laughs> <laughs>